Chapter Twenty Five of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. There's no end to it. Perhaps there was no one at Chautauqua who worked more industriously to resist the forces for good that were working around him than did Joseph Ward. He recognized even more forcibly than while at home the unmistakable and increasing change in his brother and in Paul Adams, and resented both almost as a personal grievance. He looked with lofty indifference on all the efforts made to interest or amuse him. He held aloof from every point where he would be likely to get help, and sneered at all suggestions hinting toward a deeper interest. Even the Jubilee singers failed to receive any praise from him. They were well enough, he affirmed, but after all they would not compare with the negro minstrels whom he heard last winter. This attempt at comparison so vexed Mrs. Fenton that she declared her determination to have nothing more to do with the fellow. Since he was determined to be ruined, why, let him. Dr. Monteith worked away patiently in his efforts to reach the young man, utterly unconscious, meanwhile, as many a good father is, how industriously his own son was working to undermine the faith of another. Still, so far, the doctor's efforts had been as unavailing as any others. So while he by no means gave up effort, he lost heart. There seemed to be nothing at Chautauqua to reach Joe Ward. "'He is cast in a coarser mould,' said the professor to himself with a sigh. "'I don't believe we can reach him.' One morning the subject of all this solicitude strolled quite away from familiar avenues, exploring a portion of the grounds which he had not seen before. He came upon an energetic young fellow of about his own age, engaged in flooring a tent. Stopping, hands in his pockets, and whistling slowly, he watched the operation for a few minutes, then asked, "'What are you about?' As the actual work that he was about was clearly discernible to the naked eye, the young man thus addressed seemed to conclude that the question struck deeper, and answered accordingly. Speculating. Speculating? What with? Whose tent is that? Mine for the present. Do you want to rent it? Not much. Know of anybody who does? Not a body. Oh, well, there'll be people enough who do. No trouble about that. This is the place for people. Just lend a hand with this plank, will you? Then when you are raising your tent, I'll do as much for you." my tent and joe repeated the words in an amused tone the pronoun seemed to strike him strangely that is an article along with most other things that i never expect to own why don't you rent one and go into business how easy enough rent a vacant lot then rent a tent put it up yourself add all sorts of nice little fixings that will make it look tasty then rent it for a good sum as the crowds come in and you have quite a nice bit of money over and above expenses. For almost the first time in his life Joe was interested in a matter of business. There seemed to be something so independent and so free and easy about this sort of work that it took his fancy. For a full half-minute he held his end of the plank aloft while he considered. "'Come,' said the brisk young man, Step spry. I want to get my house in order before the next boatload comes in. I expect a crowd. Where do you get your money to rent your tent and lot and other things? asked Joe, fixing his end of the plank with precision. 
Well, I have an uncle here who lent me money enough to start with. It doesn't take much. Oh, said Joe with emphasis. Well, I haven't an uncle here or anywhere else who would lend me a red cent. Bring on your uncle and I'll consider your plan. But he considered the plan almost in spite of himself. He hovered about that tent nearly all the morning, sometimes helping, oftener standing with hands in his pockets looking on, occasionally offering some advice. "'That won't fit in there,' he said, as the energetic young worker brought a board that was designed by him to occupy a certain niche. "'That shall fit in there,' he declared, as the board, as if to prove the statement of the looker-on, ground on its edges and refused to take its place. The worker dealt it vigorous blows with his fist. "'It won't go in,' said the looker-on. "'It shall go in.' said the worker, and he took his hatchet, and, adding the strength that was in it to the strength that was in the arm, and the greater strength of will which was behind the arm, the discomfited board yielded the point and slipped quietly into place. "'That's power,' said the young man composedly. "'I guess you didn't hear the lecture this morning, or you wouldn't have been so sure about its not going in.' "'No,' said Joe, with a slight sneer. "'I didn't hear it, did you?' That I did, and a famous one it was. I wouldn't have missed it even for the sake of getting up this tent two hours earlier, and that is saying a great deal. Seems to me you mix things. Course, said the other, dealing sturdy blows with his hatchet and making a wedge for his board. You don't suppose I mean to stick to renting tents and putting them up all my life, do you? This is only a stepping stone, so to speak, towards the house I mean to have to rent. That's why I went to the lectures, to learn how. To learn how to rent houses? Was the lecture about that? That and some other things, a good many other things, in fact. Bishop Warren, you know, he's the astronomy man. You wouldn't suppose that astronomy had anything to do with renting houses now, would you? But you see, it was one of those lectures that made a man remember that he lived in a wonderful world, with wonderful worlds all around him, and wonderful things going on, and that he had a wonderful mind, and was meant to do wonderful things himself, and that he could accomplish almost anything that he set out with a determination that it should be done especially, if he saw that it was the right thing to do, and had a reasonable belief that the one who managed all these amazing worlds would give attention to him too. At least that is what I got out of the lecture. I came home twice as determined to accomplish what I have undertaken. "'What's that?' "'What's that?' repeated the young man, and he stopped as if half-puzzled for a minute, then laughed. "'Hard to tell,' he said briskly. "'There's no end to it. There's a beginning, though. Pay my way at Chautauqua for the first thing, then pay my way at school this winter, and earn a good deal of money next summer, and go to college finally, and build my house, and rent it, and build another, and do ten thousand things in the world that ought to be done with the money I earn.' and join the CLSC, added Joe, those letters representing to him the height and depth of human ambition. Oh, I've been a member of the CLSC for two years. That is what started me in this line. Are you a member? No, said Joe, in intensest scorn, and turned on his heel and walked away. Still, the memory of the talk clung to him. The atmosphere about him was full of suppressed energy. He had been insensibly breathing it at the very time that he had been dodging it from day to day. 
it was a relief to him to discover it taking shape in this tangible form that he could understand suppose i had an uncle and a tent and should earn a dollar what would father think he asked himself as he put his hands in his pockets and walked down foster avenue kicking the pebbles from under his feet mrs fenton would have felt a trifle less discouraged with the worthless boy could she have known that the thought of giving a pleasant surprise to his father was a very agreeable one over which he lingered tenderly on the whole though none of those most interested knew it an advance had been made with joseph ward to get a young man to think steadily about anything not positively wrong is an advance the result of his thinking appeared in the course of the day in an astounding request that he made to mr fenton borrow twenty-five dollars repeated that gentleman so lost in wonder as to fail to find further words to express himself yes sir said joe looking up with composed face and laughing eyes into mr fenton's troubled ones he had no more idea of getting the money than he had of being sent on a voyage of discovery to the moon but it suited his idea of fun to ask for it now mr fenton was a man who had made the little money that he had by slow and laborious steppings he knew no royal road to fortune indeed half a lifetime of hard work and patient small economies had brought him no fortune only a very modest bank account, hardly sufficient for the rainy day for which most people look, and he had schemes and hopes for his one boy Robert sufficient to swallow the whole sum a dozen times. Twenty-five dollars was therefore no trifle to him. It represented hard work and self-denial. He was not one who spent twenty-five cents a year in mere self-indulgence, he was not one who had been able to cultivate his natural generosity to a very great extent. You are not surprised, then, that the audacious boy's petition nearly took his breath away. "'What do you want of it?' he asked at last, too much astonished and disturbed to make his question less direct. "'Want to go into business?' and young Joe laughed pleasantly. The sentence had a pleasant sound. No harm in using it, though he never got any further.' into business and it was clear to the young man that he would certainly have to explain himself mr fenton's astonishment and perplexity were too real to get away from so he briefly detailed the plan of the tent mr fenton asked a good many questions and almost to his dismay saw that to a person of energy and enterprise the scheme was feasible but he by no means wanted to risk twenty-five of his hard-earned dollars in such precarious hands as Joseph Ward's. Still, it was a pity that if the young fellow really had an earnest thought, it should not be cultivated. "'Why don't you write to your father and ask him to lend you the money? He is better able to lose it than I am.' The last part of the sentence was on Mr. Fenton's lips, but I rejoice to tell you it remained unspoken." Troubled as he was, he resolved not to hint to the young man that he distrusted his good intentions. "'Father, he wouldn't trust me with twenty-five cents if it should save my life. He gave the passage money out here to my brother, for fear I should spend it in peanuts and candy.' The boy did not speak scornfully, as a rule he was too good-natured to be scornful, but that he felt the trammels with which his own folly had bound him was evident." "'Besides,' he continued, 
by the time i could write and get an answer the time for making the money would be about half gone folks have to work fast down here that was true and mr fenton felt the force of it he was exceedingly troubled he wished that he had never seen joseph ward or his brother wasn't one boy as much as he could be expected to think of and plan for let mr ward do for his son he was the one to assume risks in his behalf still something held him from saying an immediate no much to the waiting young man's astonishment he had expected it in less time than had passed well said mr fenton at last slowly irresolutely i can't answer you just now money isn't very plenty with me you know but i'll think it over to-day and let you know in the morning and meantime you think it all over again and perhaps you will change your mind and conclude it's too much of a risk and joe ward chuckled hardly waiting until mr fenton was at a respectful distance i won't change my mind he said aloud and neither will you old fellow your mind is that i won't get a cent of your money if you know yourself and you think you do i agree with you we are of the same mind for once i don't expect it mrs fenton was washing the tea dishes she had banished caroline and asserted her right to command the kitchen into order herself meantime she was freely expressing her mind to her husband the idea the impudent boy that is all the thanks we get for the kindness we have shown him he just wants to waste it and disgrace himself and us i'm sorry he ever came with our party there is no use in trying to do anything for him twenty-five dollars indeed it seems a good deal of a pity that the first notion the boy ever had toward doing anything for himself should be crushed mr fenton said thoughtfully i don't suppose he would do anything with it though still he might paul adams if he had time for such an enterprise would make a good thing out of it but joe is made of other stuff i don't know as there would be any very great risk i think likely his father would pay me back if i told him the whole story still i don't know he might say i deserved to lose it for trusting the boy joe told me frankly that his father wouldn't trust him with twenty-five cents and john ward while he is honest is cross-grained and might take a position that he had no call to pay for the follies of his boy still it is a hard case i can't help thinking what if it were our robert small danger of it ever being our robert the mother said pitching the dishwater with energy into the sink he is made of different stuff at least still she winced under the reference it made her mother heart go over all the arguments in favor of doing something for the ward boys she was disappointed in james he still took too strong an interest in amy allison to please her she was in a chronic state of disappointment over joe and yet she felt unwilling almost unable to give him up her sleep that night was disturbed by troubled dreams she rented and set up and put in order many tents young joseph ward appeared and tore them down again and swam away with them into the lake her own boy robert smuggled under one of them in the middle of the night she wakened her husband with this question have you the least idea that he means anything but nonsense and waste who what asked mr fenton struggling to get awake enough to understand why that joe ward have you any faith in him 
I don't know. Awake now and thoughtful. I wish he meant it. If he doesn't mean anything soon, he will go to ruin. And the question is, how are we ever going to be sure that if we had helped him with this notion, it might not have been the turning point? After that he went to sleep again, but his wife could not. She tossed and turned her pillow and turned it back again, and thought, what if it were her Robert? But that was nonsense. Still, he might be out in the world some time, and his father gone, and she gone, and he in need of friends. They were by no means rich, and the boy needed all they had. Could they bestow any on other boys, worthless ones? The longer she lay awake and thought about it, the more puzzled did she grow. If only she had been a Christian, and had known how to secure unerring counsel, instead of wrestling blindly with the golden rule, not knowing it for a rule at all. The next morning Mr. Fenton had time to make the fire in the kitchen stove, and attend to various other duties connected with their peculiar style of housekeeping, before his usually wide-awake wife made her appearance. When she came, she seemed singularly absent-minded, opened dampers that ought to be shut, and closed the slide that must always be left open. "'Look here,' said her husband, after she had in this way created a fierce smoke. "'What are you about?' "'I don't believe I know,' laughing a little. Then, while Caroline went to their bit of a cellar for milk and bread, "'Robert, I've been thinking, and I don't know but we ought to do it.' I shouldn't wonder, he said, making no pretense of not understanding her. And so the question which had been to them a momentous one was settled. Now the fact was that by far the most bewildered party in the whole transaction was the prime mover, young Joseph himself. As I told you, he had not the remotest expectation of receiving the money and, when he stood two hours afterwards beside Mr. Fenton, with the twenty-five dollars actually in his hand, he was as one dazed, and gazed first at it, and then at the giver. He had never been a trustworthy boy, you will remember, and he had never been trusted. This was actually the first time in his life that he had ever held money in his hand that he was to do with as he chose." I would go with the boy and buy the tent for him, and make sure that he was not deceiving you. If you don't, he will be as likely to buy cakes and lemonade for all the boys in the grove as anything else. This was Mrs. Fenton's parting advice, but her husband shook his head. No, if we have made up our minds to trust him, let's trust him. I'll act as though I expected as a matter of course that he was going to do just what he said, and maybe it will astonish him into doing it. He was right about the astonishment. About that little matter, Joe, Mr. Fenton had said, beckoning him from across the lawn, where he stood leaning listlessly against a tree, his hands in his pockets. Joe came willingly, roguishly. He expected fun. Mr. Fenton had cooked up a way of good-naturedly saying no. This was the way the boy put it to himself, and he was curious to see how he would do it. About that little matter, Joe, I've decided that I ought not to let you have so much money without your father's consent. He might not like it, you know, and of course you would never pay me back, and I can't afford to lose it. Would he be likely to say it that way? Joe thought fast, but had only gotten thus far when the sentence was finished. I've decided to invest with you. 
here's the twenty-five dollars, and here is a note for you to sign that you will pay me the whole with interest at the end of twenty days, for I suppose you will be ready to pay by the time the assembly closes. Now if you will sign the note, we'll be all shipshape, and I hope you'll succeed. Joe examined the note curiously, read it slowly, turned it over, and examined the smooth surface. Whose security? he asked at last. Your word and your name. I'll risk it, my boy. I'm a poor man, as you know very well, and I can't afford to lose even twenty-five dollars. But I'll try it, and I believe if I lose it, it won't be your fault. A curious lump came into Joseph Ward's throat, a curious fluttering in his breath. He felt his pulses quicken. Somebody had trusted him, and that a man, a businessman, trusted him, Joe Ward, the spendthrift, the good-for-naught. And Mr. Fenton was a man not given to trusting everybody, a shrewd man not easily deceived. Joe knew that. Mr. Fenton, you, you won't repent this. It was every word the poor fellow could say, and he turned and walked rapidly away. It's something in the atmosphere of this queer place, he muttered. End of chapter 25